And that was kind of the biggest difference in selling something like virtual events in 2020. People went from this is a nice kind of nice to have cool thing that'll take 10 years to really take off to all of a sudden everything was virtual. Welcome to Decision Point, a podcast about overcoming adversity in sales and the growth that we experience in the process. I'm Brad Siemens. Welcome to Decision Point. I'm Cal Hawk, Director of Marketing at Monster Connect, and I'm very excited to have you joining me today. You know, we've heard a lot of stories lately on our show about how 2020 impacted businesses, forcing sales teams to find new ways to not only thrive, but in some cases, simply survive. But what happens if your company just so happens to solve a major challenge created by the pandemic and you're not quite ready for the sudden tidal wave? Well, that's the story of today's show, and it features Scott Cowley, head of agency at Hay Summit, an event-based marketing solution in Edinburgh that just a little over a year ago didn't have a true sales team and was focused on helping small, scrappy creators looking to connect with their audience. But just like that, they were suddenly being contacted by Fortune 500, Fortune 10 companies to help make their virtual events a reality. So how do you level up that quickly with essentially no time to prepare? How do you not only navigate uncharted territory, but become the kind of company that can lead the way for others? Well, let's hear the story from Scott and find out. Well, I mean, you know, like I mentioned, I'm I'm fascinated to talk uh, about Hey Summit. But before we get into that, I want to move back to uh, the beginning for you. Tell me a little bit about how you got into sales and kind of what led you down that path. Yeah, gotcha. I think I'm one of those, those people who always knew... I was going to go into sales. Um, I, I think it was when I was a teenager, my father left his job in accountancy and became a business coach. And that kind of, that was interesting because I, I then learned about sales and I was that 15-year-old at all of the Get Rich Quick seminars, um, which was fascinating. And then I uh, decided that accounting was actually probably a good idea, got, uh, got a scholarship, got someone else to pay me to learn how to do accounting but never had any intention of going into accounting. Uh, I've only ever had jobs in sales and marketing. Um, but my, my first job out of uni, because I had, I had sales jobs before that. Um, tried to write a book when I was 19. That flopped dismally. Uh, I, only, only two people ever bought it. Thanks, Dad, and one of the girls I went to uni with, named Jess. Um, but yeah, first, first real job out of uni, uh, I applied for probably 20 or 30 jobs and, and the only one who returned my call uh, was it was a sales associate job at a company called MindBody, um, basically selling yoga studios who didn't have computers that they should get mm. online software. Interesting. Um, so that was interesting. And I, I joined um, I joined early in 2013 uh, and was the top kind of cold calling appointment setter for a couple of okay. months running. In, in the Australian region that had just got started. Um, and then they, they basically said, hey, time to, time to step up and actually start closing deals, kind of how the, the SaaS world has the, the appointment setters and, and kind of cold calling outbound, yep. and then you hand over. Um, so I was taking on that, that second role. And yeah, I sucked. I was so bad. Um, I actually I ended up uh, getting a second job delivering pizzas on the weekends um because yeah. i couldn't couldn't afford rent um yeah which which was interesting but then i went no no hang on let's let's go back to basics let's i, I can do this um so i decided that i was going to 
I got a, a particular book uh, by a guy named Jeffrey Gittimer called uh, The Sales Bible. Uh, it's a phenomenal book. I've given that book away now so many times. I keep buying it for myself and then someone has a problem and I'm like, oh, you need to read this. And I give away my yeah. own copy and then I have to buy another one. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I read that book. I read a chapter of that book every day um, and then I also decided I was going to be the number one outbound guy within, uh, within mind, body, globally, um, which was interesting because there was probably... Anywhere between sixty and one hundred and twenty, I genuinely can't remember how many reps okay. there were, but there was there was a lot. And I I set that target because it was a thing I could achieve. Being the top outbound guy was something I could do. Um, whereas being the top guy, like the way their sales org was built, a lot of people just kind of had retainer contracts where they'd get five or ten sales every month from like three or four different customers. I was never going to be able to beat that. Yeah. But I, I set myself the goal that I was going to be the number one outbound guy. It took me, it took me six months, kind of 80 dials, 100 dials a day, some days doing five, 10 demos, just like insane numbers that I don't think I'd be able to do anymore um, just because the energy it took. And, and I, yeah, I hit it for two months running. I was, I was pretty stoked. And since then, I'd like to say I've gone from strength to strength. There's been some lows, but, uh, but yeah, I definitely credit the, the outbound dialing. Um, but then also reading that book, uh, and I still to this day, whenever people say, what, what do you credit your success to in sales? Like, how did you get started? It's, it's that book I credit to, like giving the, the direction. Um, yeah. That's how I started selling. Well, yeah, that's an amazing story. I, I, I want to go back to that point in which you kind of hit the wall, so to speak, because we this isn't a, a story necessarily that we um, you know haven't heard from other folks. I mean, just to, you know, if you're crushing it as a sales rep, you obviously want to take that next step. But it's not always like this one to one comparison of like, oh, I'm crushing it here. I'm going to step into uh, this next roll up and, and keep crushing it. I mean, for you specifically, when you think back, like what? Was that a role that you just weren't ready for? Was there not enough training to help you? Like, what was the reason you think that uh, you, you kind of hit that bump in the road? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. If I really think about the role I was doing to begin with was not a very hard role. I, and, and it was uh, Australia when I, where I started. I'm originally, I'm originally an Aussie. Um, and when I got started, we didn't have nuisance calls. We didn't have robo-dialers. Mm -hmm. um, I don't even know if they're there yet. So my cold calls, I was getting like five or six answers per 10 dials. Wow. So like it was a pretty good time to be cold calling. Um, yeah. And also the, the owners of the businesses that I was calling, they had mobile numbers listed on their websites. So you're just calling the direct person. You just say a script for 30 seconds and book in an appointment. Um, that, was, that was definitely the easy part. I've, I've always been, that's always been the easy part. But then I think the step up um, I, maybe, maybe it was training. Maybe it was just, I didn't realize how hard selling actually is. And I think mm -hmm. I probably went into it a little bit naive thinking yeah. that, yeah, like I can get people to say yes to, to half an hour or an hour on the phone. I could probably get them to say yes to a, I think it was like a $50 a month software at that point. Maybe a hundred was the most expensive plan. Um, so I think it was probably naivety. But I also think it's just selling is hard, and when yes. you're entering when you're entering a new market, as as MindBody were, a lot of the tips they gave us worked in the US, but the but Australia is a very different market. As much as mm. we both speak English, there is definitely a a different style of selling. 
So a lot of the tips I was getting from from my team, I assume they worked in the US at the time. Uh, I assume they weren't just telling me crap because these were good people. Um, but they weren't; those tips weren't working in Australia. It was just a fundamentally different audience. What, what I've noticed, because I've sold all around the world these days, um, just to take those two countries, Australia is really, really hard to get someone to buy the first time. But if you call them back in two weeks or three weeks and say, hey, it's, it's this person, they're gonna, they have no idea who you are. They, they don't remember your name because you're just the, the voice on the other end of the phone. Whereas I've found when selling, um, I, when selling in the US, for example, people are much, much more likely to take that risk and just be like, ah, it's cheap, I'll buy it. Um, but then they churn much faster compared to Australians. Mm, mm-hmm. Then I compare that, so I'm, I'm based in the UK these days. I'll compare that to the UK. It's, it's kind of halfway between that. They'll churn really quickly if, if you don't serve them. But you have to earn their business and they will remember your name. You can call them back in three months' time because I did this. I used to, the easiest way to get more business is call current customers and get referrals. So I used to do this. I used to reach out after a month and and they they knew who I was. When I tried that in Australia, they'd literally be like, you were just the guy on the other end of the phone. I don't don't need anything from you. I'm like, "Why, why are you calling me? I've been dealing with support the whole time. Right. So it's just really interesting to see how those different cultures work, and and maybe that was maybe that was it. I just had to learn how the Australian way of buying at the time was. Um, I don't know. No one's ever really asked me that question. I feel like I've just been waffling at you now, and I'm not I'm not quite sure. Well, no, I think it's great, and you know, I mean, you kind of said it all. Uh, the crux of our whole show of like selling is hard, you know, and and the more layers you add on top of it, the more complex it gets. And when you're talking about selling internationally and you know different countries and different cultures, like obviously there's all kinds of other things to think about to add different elements that create an even greater challenge to selling. Um, but uh, talking about you know your the where you turned the corner in your career and started really. Um, having some success, it came back to, you talked about going back to basics, reading that book, learning. And we've, one of the things that has been kind of a recurring theme in the conversations we've been having this year is this concept that great sellers never stop learning. Like if, if you're going to be great in sales, you can't ever reach this point where you're like, I got it figured out. I'm just going to repeat this process over and over. It's about constantly learning and pushing yourself forward. Do you find like now as a sales leader and just as you work with other young salespeople, do you find that that's a trait for people that are um, accelerating quickly in their career and moving forward in their career? Absolutely. The, the learning side and finding people to follow. I um, Before Hey Summit, my, my latest role, I spent a couple of years um, kind of freelance consulting building sales orgs for, for other people um, in kind of three to six month increments. Effectively, I was kind of sales trainer, sales consultant. It was, a, it was a weird business. I still do it a little bit today, but definitely toned it down. And I came across, um, I constantly just spend time on YouTube watching other sales trainers. And one of the things that I'm actually most excited about since taking the role at Hey Summit is I now have an excuse to buy the services of the people, mm-hmm. the sales trainers. Because you can't really reach out and be like, hey, I'm a sales trainer. Can I come to your course? Yeah, I yeah. feel like they are well within their rights to say, no, like get in. <laughs> um, whereas I'm, I'm really excited actually. I've just started working with a new coach uh, who I'm a, I'm a huge fan of. Um, and yeah, we've got, uh, we've got sessions going on. I've also 
I've done the mentoring side as well. Um, I'm a member of a couple of different uh, different incubators, um, kind of as a as a mentor. I've also been involved in the platform Growth Mentor quite a bit, and I find that the people who are at the top of their game are the ones who ask the most questions, mm. and the ones who are really willing to say, "I actually don't know much about this. Can you tell me more?" Yeah. Um, and the the other side of that, if you really flip it around, once you start getting into the mentoring side of things or or build your network to the point where you're helping others anyway, you get access to like the next level of talent because all of a sudden you're a mentor, you're a peer mm. of the people who do the helping. Um, and that's probably been my biggest step up as far as network. As far as yeah. like if I have a problem, I now have a list of amazing people that I can go to. And, and some of them are salespeople. Some of them are fundamentally just hardcore sales guys in the trenches all the time. Some of them, though, are marketing. Um, some are ops. Some are all different areas. Um, but that, that ability to find a person or a group of people. I, I, I mean, we're salespeople. We like talking to people. Some of us like reading books. Some of us like watching movies or like going and watching on-demand training. But I think the best is always talking to someone yeah. because that's part of the reason we got into sales. So I, I find those, those mentor groups and just reaching out and saying, hey, I've got this problem. Who can help? And being known as a peer, it's, yeah, they're the best people I've, I've found anywhere um, yeah. is, is those ones in those sort of groups. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's so many great, uh, you know, groups like that out there these days. And, uh, you know, it, it's not hard to find a community of people that you can network with and, and, and learn from. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit now about, you know, Hey Summit, uh, as I mentioned, you know, you know, he your head of agency there, you've been there a little over a year. I, I'm fascinated to hear about the past year there because, um, you know, hey, Summit, if I'm understanding right, it, you're solving a very specific problem, which is when people host live events, there's usually technical issues. There's uh, problems because those, you know, there's very few people. It's like my specialty is the technical side of hosting a live event. And, I, you know, all of us can talk about it. I've probably been on more live events and, and webinars where there's a, an issue with somebody's sound or the video playing or whatever than I've been where everything just goes smoothly. So the, the concept is obviously something that makes total sense. But then we go into this year where, like, it's more important than it's ever been. Um, so tell me a little bit about Hey Summit and just, you know, what it was like kind of stepping in here and then experiencing the, you know, 2020 the way that you did. Yeah, for sure, Kyle. So Hey Summit, in, for those who don't know, um, it's, it's a virtual events platform. Um, we kind of, the, the phrasing we're using at the moment, uh, is we help creators unlock their content with events-based marketing. Um, it's very much targeted at... I don't want to say the bottom of the market because that, that makes it sound bad, but kind of the, the scrappier side, the, the smaller creators who want to do um, like a, a thousand person event, a 10,000 person event, but they, they own an email list or they have a community um, mm -hmm. is kind of its traditional place. So, so what's interesting there is they, that group of people kind of get technology or they're used to hiring a virtual assistant that gets technology and, and they're smaller businesses um but then what happened last year anyone who had virtual events as a keyword on their website just got attacked 
in in yeah. March, and that was so. I've I've kind of had two stints at Hay Summit, and I'm in the and the second one right now as a as a um, employee. But the first stint was actually as a as a consultant coming in through my my consulting business, the Sales Mastermind, um, and helping build their sales org. And it fundamentally was through one of the communities that I'm a part of. Um, the CEO over there was like, "Hey, I need like we we don't sell." We're a, we're a growth-led company. And, and their price points were that. Um, mm-hmm. They were kind of at lower end where you don't you shouldn't have salespeople because it's just too expensive to build the headcount model when your prices are so low. So like that was the initial chat I had with him. I'm like, dude, you don't, you don't need sales. He's like, no, no, no. We do because all of a sudden we're getting... Um, what are some of the logos I'm allowed to mention? We're getting the UN reaching out and saying, hey, can you run an event for us? Mm. We're getting... Um, like we did some stuff for for ClickUp, we did outreach, we did um, kind of these tech forward companies. I'd say uh, is probably a good uh, a good wrapping. But they those businesses they need handholding. They they don't sure. they don't want to just work it out. They want someone to sit there and hold their hand, and they've got the budget for it. Um, so while most of our most of our best customers they are looking at this as like a revenue generation tool um using kind of a conversion event like we we in sales we we have sales conversations um and and that's our conversion event get someone to 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 talk to us and sign on the dotted line whereas a lot of the people who use us the conversion event is the event so it Mm -hmm. gives you like a, a specific time that everyone has to be on and and the standard creator is um kind of 10 20 000 people is what they want and they'll work it out themselves. But then all of a sudden, these big corporates were coming in. And hey, someone just got inundated. And they had no idea, they had no idea what procurement was. Um, so I, yeah, I kind of supported them as, a, as an external consultant the first stint. And we, we just had to go back to absolute basic. What is a sales call? Who should we be talking to? Who should we be saying no to? Like they have no qualification. Um, the person who was doing the selling, I, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, She's an absolute weapon. Like the first time I met her, I'm like, you're cool. Second time I met her, I'm like, you shouldn't be in sales. Third time I met her, she'd closed like a hundred grand of business. And I went, oh, <laughs> oh, you're good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I got, I, got a, I got a lot of time for, um, for the team there because they kind of just took everything I was saying and just ran with it. And we ended up building out processes. And, and that was kind of the biggest difference in selling something like virtual events in 2020 people went from this is a nice kind of nice to have cool thing that'll take 10 years to really take off to all of a sudden everything was virtual mm-hmm. and um yeah it was just land grab um the the competitors who started with hey summit and kind of started in the same breath last year uh quite a few of them have raised hundreds of millions now um and we're we're not going that route um because we we want to keep the we want to go more of a volume play and kind of provide the at the at the base level the SaaS level still needs to be good enough to be self-service for those original what we call passion economy um, but i don't talk to them they they're not going to buy they're not going to buy via sales and the price points are too low so i'm talking to um, like giant multinationals who are running an internal event um, and then you think about that sort of company hey summit had no idea how to go well, who are we talking to? Do we need yeah. to navigate internally to find the right person? Or, or is this person the right person? 
do we, how do we, how do, they didn't have a proposal. We, we had to create, I created a, to be honest, yeah, yeah. I created a proposal. It was scrappy as anything, man. We had, we had no time in the day. We just had yeah. back-to-back calls. No idea how to say no, how to qualify. Um, we made, to be honest, man, last year was a, was a bumper year, but it was tough because we, we didn't, we didn't. And also I didn't know the events industry. So I'm having to learn this brand new industry with very, very big characters, really yeah. interesting characters who are used to getting up on a stage in front of a hundred thousand people. Yeah. And then you're talking to them and they've got, they don't know how zoom works and they don't know how to start a zoom call. Um, so you try to, I had to pull on those skills I learned originally at mind body when you're talking to Pilates instructors and, and yoga teachers who've been doing it for 30 years, never had any intention of owning a computer, let alone putting a computer into their yoga studio. So I had to kind of go back to the, the original roots that I learned there and just really walk people through, just ask those really, really dumb questions because they weren't actually dumb questions to this group of people. It's just, they just didn't think like technology right. people who use virtual events. Um, yeah. And then I think the, the next thing that happened was interesting is that we, we decided um, to, to kind of add another salesperson um, so that our, our current team could kind of step up more into the management role because one of them was a, was a founder, another salesperson. And I helped hire that person. Um, and she was lovely, um, but she wasn't a startup person. And, okay. and the, I think the, the interesting thing there is like she had serious, serious chops at her previous roles. Uh, I quite like this person. She, she was lovely. But then understanding that in the world of startups, you're just creating products on the fly. Like I've literally sat on calls because the, the agency side and the reason we've chosen the title head of agency um, is because I'm not selling the SaaS. I'm not selling the software. I'm selling all the services behind it. Um, and, and yeah, like the software tool, the, the lowest price point at the moment, I think is 35 bucks a month. The lowest we sell our services for is a couple of grand per event up to, I think the largest deal we've done is getting close to close to six figures. Mm. So like, it's an entirely different proposition. And that actually, Carl, that yeah. caused a, a different issue because when you've got someone from, let's just call it the UN, because we've done a fair few different, like little subcommittees within the UN and we have permission to use their logo. So when someone from the UN reaches out and sees your price point on the page and goes, oh, your cheapest is 35, your most expensive is 300 a month. And then you're like, oh, to run that event, it's going to be 35 grand. It's, there's some serious sticker shock there. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's kind of the events industry is a little bit opaque like that. Everyone says kind of reach out for pricing. Um, and that, that definitely caused issues when we we're doing some of our selling. Because we're talking to companies, like we're talking to, I think the largest company we ever, the, the largest company, like we're talking Fortune 10s um, and some really, really big companies. So they can afford this. We know they can afford it. Do they have it set aside as budget in that particular event? Probably not because everything just, just everything that they had initially got blown up and no one knew what their budgets were. And that's part of the reason they're reaching out to us because our price points were so low online. Um, we ended up closing quite a few of those deals, but it did cause issues. It did cause that communication and you had to do a lot of the, a lot of the really tough, like, oh, if I told you it was $10,000, what would you say to me? Um, kind of the, the back end so you don't get the sticker shock 
And right. then you, yeah, reduce the ridiculous stuff where you're talking about number of attendees and cost per attendee and just all these different tricks we had to do because services are really expensive when you've got a person mm-hmm. physically holding your hand on the way through. Um, another thing as well, and, and feel free to jump in if I'm just talking too much here, Kyle, but um, another thing we found, Hey Summit isn't doing what everyone else is doing. So most of the events industry, they go out and they raise a couple of hundred million um, and then they build everything in-house. In fact, even the, the, the platforms that raise 10 million, they're building everything in-house. Right. Whereas we, we don't want to do that. So fundamentally, we don't do any of the video ourselves. And you're probably thinking, how on earth can you run a virtual events business without video? <laughs> and that's a problem because we have to explain that to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, we still haven't worked out how to do it well. It's still a struggle to kind of get people's head without having that conversation, without talking about what Hey Summit actually is. One of, the, one of the best analogies I've worked out is if you think about a conference you went to five years ago, Hey Summit is everything from when you first hear about the concert, sorry, the conference, land on the, the web page, register for your ticket, pick which sessions you're going to go to, get the reminder email, turn up to the conference center, check in, and then you turn the handle to open the door to walk into the actual session. Mm-hmm. And then we use a partner at that point. And we choose yeah. whatever's best in breed. Now, the reason to do that, one, we don't have to raise hundreds of millions to build 15 different event styles. Because uh, right. in, the, in the old days, to do an event, move some chairs around, and all of a sudden, you've gone from a keynote to a panel to a networking session. Right. Now, now these days, those are three fundamentally different pieces of technology that make that possible. Yep. So the software that's really good at keynotes is usually okay at like round robin networking. But what Hey Summit does is we allow you to have one event experience. So your, your attendees don't ever see this. But that one event experience allows you to put the best of breed as the actual platform they, the best of breed that you can afford as the platform that you're using. So you're using something different for your keynotes, using something different for your, your networking. Maybe you want to do some like really interesting stuff with um, like virtual booths. We're doing a student mm-hmm. event right now uh, where they have each of the student-led organizations, the, um, what do you call them? The, uh, the clubs, the student clubs. Each of those get their own like booth as such. Okay. How on earth do you put that online? Right. Well, my team worked that out. I don't have to work that out. I don't know how any of the technology <laughs> works. But uh, I've got an amazing tech team behind me who actually then take this is what we need to do, make those booths, make it all work, pick the technology, um, and then just kind of hand it over. Uh, and then it just, it just runs. Yeah. Uh, Scott, this is fascinating because there's so much – there's so much here. I mean, we're you know talking about a um, a company that does virtual events, which you know until March of last year was kind of you know it was a thing, but maybe more of a niche thing. But on top of that, you're selling basically a software license to a smaller you know you described it a scrappy type customer. Now suddenly, virtual events are the only way to have an event. And now suddenly, you're not just selling the software license, but you're also selling a service to like enterprise companies and working out these big deals, but there's no process in place. There's no proposal. You're, I mean, there's so many things. It sounds like you're working through on the fly in terms of process, so many problems you're solving for to scale 
uh, as the opportunity scales, right? And now we come into 2021. And, and to me, just to hear you talk about it, it almost feels like the sky's the limit on what you could potentially do, what the focus could be. How do you rein that in coming into this next year and the year after that and say like, hey, this is who Hey Summit is going to be. This is who we are. This is what we figured out that is a repeatable process and how we're going to scale from that point. Oh, Kyle, you're asking the tough questions. <laughs> uh, I, I'd say not very well yet, but we're trying. That's yeah. it's that. How do you how do you rein it in? Uh, I think where we're at is we're kind of just picking something and running with it for a period of time, seeing how it goes. Yeah. Um, but when thinking about thinking about events, thinking about moving forward, kind of thinking about the next obvious step is a lot of people are going to be going well virtual events yeah but like we're going to get back to seeing each other soon aren't we and i think that that's our next biggest challenge but i also think it's our next biggest opportunity because there's two sides to that one there's hybrid where you have some people in person and some people not but the other side is actually straight after this recording uh, i have a conversation with a uh with a not-for-profit in in a state in the u.s that is quite low population, but um, they do some work with municipalities. So every municipality in the state um, is part of this association. Now, this association, when I spoke to them last time, they said, we're never going to run a just-in-person event again because they might run hybrid, but Mm -hmm. they they said that to me and they ran me through the logic behind it because I was like, hang on, tell me more. Like, why is that? It's because the, the States just doesn't have that many airports. So people have to drive 10, 12 hours to get to the physical event. And that really means if you're doing a one-day event, people have to take three days out of the calendar yeah, to do a one-day event. So like straight after this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through there. They're about to talk about the 21 event. Um, but that, that use case isn't going away. So you, you still, we have to then decide, are we going to become a hybrid tool that like helps out people with in-person and, and online? Um, and, and the other challenge that, that we've also got is that our original use case, what we, what we thought we were to begin with was for what we call the passion economy. People that wouldn't have physical events in general because you can't get 5,000 people from all over the world affordably into a conference center. Mm-hmm. So that person, it was, we were solving a problem for them that wasn't solved any other way or wasn't yep. solved well any other way. Whereas now we have to make a decision. Do we, we're going to keep serving them. We're pretty good at serving them. We've built some really good partnerships. Um, and we've got some, some awesome influencers in that space who love us. So we're definitely not moving away from it. But that, to the people on this podcast point, they're probably going to go, yeah, but you don't need sales for that. And you're 100% right. So this is the tug. I, I'm, I'm then trying to say, okay, how do we, how do we, my, my ambition, um, I've sold on six continents uh, and I, I want to sell something to Antarctica and I want to sell something to the International Space Station. So, you know, just, just small goals. But that's possible with Hey Summit because if you yeah. think about it, Antarctica, well, yeah, there's internet there, thanks to uh, Starlink or whatever the, the um, Elon Musk thing's called. Um, but then also the International Space Station, 
Like they do actually sell talks from the ISS. Like Chris yeah. Hatfield was famous for doing a bunch of those. So like to bring this all back around to your actual question, I think beyond the sky is the limit. There's so many things we can do. Right. Um, but we have to focus for, a, for each kind of month, quarter, year because we haven't raised much money. That's the other yeah. factor. We've got, to, we've got to do this in a way that means we aren't burning cash. Um, and that's, that's really where the, the agency side comes into its own as well because an agency, like I can turn around a 50K deal in a month, um, which is great because if you, if you know any of the, any of the methodologies around qualifying, um, I'd never have to worry about timing because everyone has an event in the future and that's the day that it has to happen. Yeah. So I, I, my qualification is so much easier. Um, you know, Scott, this has been a great conversation. I want to take too much more of your time, but I do want to ask you real quick, you know, you've uh, talked about all of the fascinating stuff that this happened in the past year. You've talked about wanting to, you know, sell a, a you know, a virtual uh, event in Antarctica or out in space. But of, of all these things, if I ask you right now, just in general, what are you most passionate about? What, what's your answer to that? Oh, I don't want to sound cliche. I do. I do just love selling, man. I love getting yeah. in front of people, finding out what their problem is, then finding out what their real problem is, then finding out how that actually happens in their life, then solving that problem via my tool, then getting letting, letting someone else actually deliver because uh, I'm not as technical as, uh, as I think most people think I am. But I, yeah, I just, I love, I, I think, I think I just love uncovering the true problem and then solving that and selling to that. I think that's something that um, most people don't do very well. And then I suppose the, the other part of that is I do love questions, working out the right questions, working out how to ask them. When I write a book, it's going to be on questions. I've no idea what it's going to be, like what's actually going to make up the, the content, but I do just love asking better questions. And that's, yeah, I, I suppose I wrap all that up as I, I really do love sales, man. I, God, that's yeah. a cliche when I say that, though. Well, hey, makes you a, a great guest for this show and uh, a, a great conversation this has been. So, Scott, I thank you so much for being so generous with your time today and coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Kyle, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. Another big thank you to Scott Cowley of Hayes Summit for joining me on the show. If you like what you heard today, come visit us at monsterconnect.com slash podcast. We've got some really great additional resources for you there. And of course, you can sign up for our newsletter. That's going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much for stopping by and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>